adaptive reuse is kind of just keeping most of the structures and just modifying it to change the use. I personally like to think of it as kind of as like how you recycle buildings because similar to recycling cardboard, it's we're taking something we don't need anymore and kind of modifying it in a way that allows us to use it for something else that we do need. And you also get a lot of the same kind of environmental benefits. Reusing something reduces the amount of waste, like demolition of buildings creates waste. So if we're converting buildings to a different use, it kind of eliminates a lot of waste. And thus waste is also generated from having to construct a new building from the ground up. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Sink or Swim, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. I'm your host today, Matt Hildebrand, and today I'm joined by Howard Chai, staff writer at Stories, a leading real estate news platform in Canada. Howard, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Now, on the podcast in recent months, we've delved deep into the pressing issue of the lack of rental supply across Canada. While the obvious solution would be to construct more buildings, the limitations of available land and resources present a significant challenge. However, there is a creative and innovative solution that deserves our attention, repurposing vacant buildings. Howard has been writing about this topic for a while now and has chatted with many industry experts. So we wanted to have him on and discuss this idea even further. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So Howard, my first question to you would be really just what are your thoughts on the current rental housing situation in Canada? Thanks, Matt. Well, I think it's clear that we definitely do have a rental housing problem. It's obviously uh, probably, I think the supply pipeline has definitely fallen behind. And to be honest, to not be too pessimistic about I think it's going to require a lot of changes just for us to, to catch up, considering the amount of people that are coming into Canada now and also coming in the future with Canada's uh, immigration plans. So, yeah, I think a lot has to change for us to catch up, let alone house all the people incoming. On a kind of a more local level, I'm based in British Columbia, and I can't really speak on areas outside of Canada, but in BC, I feel like a lot of the anger is kind of aimed at municipal governments. I think a lot of the anger is reasonable about their is, I think, justifiable reasons to be angry. And I think some of the municipal governments definitely probably do deserve it. I think they could all be doing some parts, some things better. But I think the rental housing crisis problem is specifically really more of a provincial and federal problem. I think municipal governments kind of just take the part of the anger because they're, they seem a little bit more accessible compared to provincial and provincial governments. So people, when they have anger, they kind of direct the municipal governments. But it's not to absolve municipal governments. I think, like I said, most municipalities can probably be doing more in one way, in one way or another. So I, but it's not like the incredible high asking rents in Vancouver suddenly drop off when you cross over into a neighboring city. So I think that's kind of an indicator that it's something that could be helped by municipal governments, but I think it's really more of a provincial and, uh, and federal issue. And I think it would be beneficial for us to discuss it as an industry on a more on this kind of bigger picture national level. I talked to a lot of developers here in British Columbia and 
I think just a sense of seeing public feedback, I think a lot of people in the public feel like developers are kind of this general stereotype of greedy developers wanting to make more and more money. Well, I'm sure some developers, potentially, I'm sure there are a couple that are greedy. I think they generally do want to build rental housing. I think developers know that the population of renters in Canada is growing faster than the population of homeowners. I think they know it's becoming much harder for people to buy homes. I think they know that there's a need in the demand for rental housing and and most people would agree that businesses that are successful are businesses that succeed by filling needs and satisfying demand. So I don't think this is a case where developers just don't want to build rent housing. I think part of the problem, at least from what developers have I've talked to have told me, is just that it's, it's hard making the numbers make sense. And I think that's in business. If it, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't really make sense. Unfortunately, whether we know whether or not we like it, whether we like it or not, building housing is a business. A lot of it really just comes down to whether or not the financial, currently the, our current financial center is just from what developers have told me, just don't really make building rent housing financially viable for them, even for non-profit housing providers, even though it's not-for-profit, financials still have to make sense. And right now, even non-profits are having a hard time making the numbers make sense to build rental housing. And I think that's kind of the, the crux of the issue here as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Main reason why we've been talking about it on this podcast for many months now definitely needs more attention. We said across Canada, you know, we're Toronto based and, you know, we've been talking a lot about Toronto issues. You know, we've been having guys like Tony Irwin on from FERPO to talk about Ontario issues in Toronto. But in Vancouver, we're facing issues. In other provinces, we're facing issues. But there are some interesting cities that have been doing a pretty good job at it. So we'll get into those specific cities a little bit later. But as I said at the top, we want to talk about this idea of repurposing vacant buildings. So we've written an article about it. We called it Office to Residential Conversion. But there is another name for it. It's called Adaptive Reuse. I know you've written about this topic. So can you just provide a little overview of the concept of adapted reuse and its significance in the context of office to residential conversions? Well, the general concept of adaptive reuse is really just taking an existing building and changing how we use it, most usually through modifications, not redevelopment. Redevelopment is kind of a separate thing where you demolish and they redevelop. Adaptive reuse is kind of just keeping most of the structures and just modifying it to change the use. I personally like to think of it as kind of as like how you recycle buildings. Because similar to recycling cardboard, it's we're taking something we don't need anymore and kind of modifying it in a way that allows us to use it for something else that we do need. And you also get a lot of the same kind of environmental benefits. Reusing something reduces the amount of waste, like demolition of buildings creates waste. So if we're converting buildings to a different use, it kind of eliminates a lot of waste. And thus waste is also generated from having to construct a new building from the ground up. In terms of the office residential conversions, it's... I would say that really depends on it's, it's not really a new concept. It's kind of been around for like decades, really. It's just the form of it has kind of changed depending on the needs of the time. So currently, like there, there used to be uh, examples of industrial spaces being converted into retail space. I believe the uh, distillery district in Toronto is an example of that. And uh, just that nowadays, a lot of cities around the North America really are lacking housing. So the most common form these days is office buildings to apartments and housing. So what would you say are some key factors that are driving the trend of repurposing office space for residential use? I mean, you mentioned it's not a new concept, but we're seeing it more and more in the news every month. So in your opinion, what are some of the key factors driving this? The key factor, kind of the baseline factors, is really definitely the, obviously the need for housing and how strong that need is. 
like you mentioned, a lot of cities in North America are facing a housing crisis and are just trying to come up with different ways to fix the problem, either using like a multitude of options, and uh, this is just one option. So another factor is obviously whether or not you actually have office vacancies. You can't really convert vacant office buildings if you don't have any to begin with. This is the part that kind of obviously took off a little bit during COVID. So when the pandemic hit, the world's kind of stumbled onto remote work. And I think it's kind of safe to say that we're probably never going to get back to the days, the pre-pandemic days, in terms of the amount of people working in offices. So we have those two things. We have the vacant office space and we have the need for housing. And I think a lot of municipal governments are just kind of putting those two things together and saying, oh, like they're kind of putting two and two together and seeing that we have obviously just not being used and we need more housing. Then it kind of makes it kind of makes sense to kind of use turn that unused office space into housing, and uh, I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. That's kind of the spur of what's sparking uh, a lot of cities to look at this potential solution to the housing crisis. Yeah, you're right about the hybrid work. A lot of companies are definitely sending people back to the office, but a lot of companies are also just adopting the the hybrid work or downgrading and getting smaller office space. There, we're seeing a lot of large empty buildings sitting around major cities, especially Toronto, that you know on paper seemed like a good idea. Now, you mentioned in one of your articles, Adapt or Die, which is a really good article. Everyone should go check it out at stories.com. Really covered this topic quite well. You mentioned how in the States, there's some really, really good use cases of this. And there's a couple in Canada too. But in your research, what specific cities or regions have you seen a high prevalence of office to residential conversions and the success stories happening there? In Canada, it's definitely, I'd say that is Calgary kind of by a long mile. Calgary is definitely leading it in terms of conversion offices, so the office to resident conversion in Canada. I think it even be fair to say Calgary is one of the leaders on conversions in all of North America, including the states. I know from just researching in the states, I know New York created an office conversion task force a few years ago. Last fall, I believe California passed legislation to facilitate office conversions. It's also happening in cities like Seattle and Chicago. Mostly all for just reasons we kind of mentioned, like they're starting to have a lot more office vacancies. I, I think I can't speak for all the cities, but I think a lot of them are kind of even higher than what we've been seeing in Canada. So it's kind of been more of an urgent problem in, in the States. And I think a lot of those cities would also, if you read a lot of the articles from other other news organizations, they usually will we'll mention Calgary in one way or another. So I think that's kind of a sign that Calgary was kind of the thing that kind of provided the first kind of proof of concept of how cities can can adopt this approach kind of like on a on a mass scale rather than one-offs, which, and there are one-offs, one-offs have happened in Vancouver. I'm aware of a few that happened years ago, probably decades, can't really think of too many recently. And I know Toronto also has several one-off projects, but not currently at the moment, I don't think there's anything as big on as the scale as it is in Calgary. And kind of what happened in Calgary was that, according to the city, between around 2013 and 2018, they essentially accumulated, I believe the estimate was about 4 million square feet of new offices by. And then immediately right after that, they, they, they saw a sharp demand in office space demand. And of about, I think the estimate is 6 million. So we kind of left with that remaining 2 million square feet of office space and nothing to do with it. So they tried to figure out what to do, talk to experts in the industry, and then they ultimately settled on converting those office buildings to housing. And then they ultimately created a downtown incentive program, financial incentive program for developers to kind of help developers take on conversion projects. Now, you mentioned the incentive program there. Developers are always looking for more reasons to build because it has to obviously make sense financially. So can you touch a little bit more on the Downtown Calgary Development Incentive Program? Maybe a couple key points in there and why that's a program that maybe other cities can kind of look at adopting in the future? 
Yeah, the program in a nutshell is a financial assistance program for developers. Essentially, it's a $75 per square feet of existing office space to be converted. But yeah, that essentially, as you mentioned, it helps uh, developers when they're looking at their performance and the financial projects. It helps them make sense. I think the concept is converting office buildings to apartments is something sounds pretty cool on paper, but it's not as simple as just going in and converting and then changing the changing the furniture, swapping out furniture and stuff like that. There's a lot of considerations and a lot of that results in various costs. And then I think in general, from what I've talked to, the developers save some money on some aspects of it, but there are some other costs that come with conversions that you don't really get on regular building from the ground up projects. There's usually a gap between the numbers that developers would have wanted to be ideally and the number that it is in reality and the financial incentives kind of help close that gap essentially. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. Sounds easy on paper. Empty office building. We need more apartments or rental housing. Why not convert it? But there's a lot more to it. And I mean, you're not an architect, I'm not an architect, but from talking with people across your research and your various interviews, what are some of the major challenges and considerations that architects and developers encounter when undertaking these types of projects that maybe the common folk wouldn't really think about? Yeah, there definitely are a lot of factors. What I kind of think about is that a lot of purpose buildings are office buildings, residential buildings are typically constructed specifically for their intended purposes. I'm sure everybody's familiar with the quote that form follows function. That was actually a quote that was actually coined by an architect. So that kind of tells you that buildings are usually developed and constructed and designed specifically for, for their purpose. So if you look at an office building compared to residential building, even from the outside, the kind of easiest way to tell them apart is this office building typically are just flat surface on the outside. Residential buildings typically have balconies all over the place. So if you see a building with a bunch of balconies, it's most likely residential building. And again, that's one of the things that the balcony thing is one thing that's a consideration. A lot of residential users typically like balconies. Although uh, I know in some places around Canada, that people, I think developers are kind of looking at getting rid of balconies because there's, there are some places where if you look where you have a balcony that people may not use compared to other locations. And, but in general, I think residents still like to have their balconies with the views if they're in a high-rise part of the cost you pay for the unit is for the view and the balconies is how you enjoy that view. So yeah, that's one of the aspects that conversions to consider whether or not you can build balconies. I know some projects in Calgary I've seen conversion projects, they're doing they're adding balconies. Some a lot of them aren't. So that's one consideration. Also a floor place for office buildings and residential buildings are typically not the same. Residential buildings are typically a bit wider. Office buildings are typically a bit narrow. So yeah you have you have to kind of find the right fit in terms of the buildings because if the building is too narrow, you can't fit a good amount of units on a, on a single floor, which all, which obviously comes back to whether or not they can, developers can make the project financially viable. Office buildings typically also don't have as many walls. A lot of office buildings and office spaces and companies are really just like open concepts where employees can talk to each other and communicate and collaborate. So in residential components and buildings, a lot of walls would have to be added up and that can increase costs. In office buildings also, typically washrooms are kind of clustered together because they're 
this communal space, we have all the watch-ins plus the other. But whereas in a residential building, they kind of have watch-ins kind of, they kind of scattered all across the floor in different quarters and not aggregated and kind of in one corner of the building. So that can affect things like plumbing and how the kind of the wires and structures of the building that you can't really use, that are kind of like behind the walls that you can't really see. Same with things like HVAC. A lot of those things are kind of the only things that we kind of think about when we're in office building or residential things, but they do kind of differ in terms of office to uh, office compared compared to residential. And the energy use is also different. Office buildings typically use more energy during the day because that's where employees are in the building. Whereas residential buildings typically use more energy at night because that's when people are at home away from work. And so that results in the amount of energy used being different and that could also affect how you build the building, especially with the the environmental centers we have nowadays. So all those things have to be analyzed and considered and developers have to figure out how much these modifications will cost them, add them up, see how much the entire undertaking will cost, kind of factor in the things that they the things that they can't foresee through anything. I know some of them um, yeah, and then they'll have to compare that to the rents that they can charge to see what the margins are the project the project if, if the margins are acceptable to them then they'll go for it. If it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And what the Calgary what Calgary downtown incentive program is just it provides a third possibility where the margin makes sense, then perhaps the developers can go to the city and get some financial help with it, and then it'll make sense. Now, let's say a building makes sense financially and everything's go ahead. Has there, or speaking with anybody in your research, has there been any other outside pushback from the community? We talked about NIMBYs a couple weeks ago. Or is the community mostly accepting of this idea of converting office space to? rental housing? Uh, I haven't seen too much pushback. The NIMBY thing is definitely an issue around around the country, around North America, really. And I think where some developers I've talked to where talked about how this converging also kind of kind of bypasses the NIMBY problem because the building is, most of the building is kind of already there. So people with NIMBYs are typically opposed to erecting new buildings because the new high-rises, these typical buildings are, by the fact of the converging, they're already there. So there's nothing really to be opposed for it. I think a lot of people would in the cities, so the cities that are looking at this option are typically cities that are in need of housing. And I think despite whether you're not in NIMBY or not, I think most people can at least agree on that there is a housing crisis in whatever city you're in. So I think most people, I haven't seen too much pushback about converting office spaces into residence just just, by, just because of office buildings. Most typically they're not being, there's a high number of vacancy in them. So like a lot of them are not really used because kind of going to waste recapturing does something Calgary, I believe, were just clearly vacant. So it's just making use of something that's underused and not really doing anything for the city and turning into housing. So I think that I have not seen any pushback from the community and uh, I don't really expect there to be too much going forward either. I wouldn't think so. It, it seems like a kind of a win-win for the communities, the developers and the city if you can get these projects off the ground. Now, Spoken about Calgary and how it's kind of leading the charge in this type of office to residential project. Are there some successful examples that you can think of that people can maybe look up and point to as that worked for the community and kind of brought a positive change for developers, immigration, really just trying to move the needle when it comes to building more rental supply? Well, in Calgary, where the world definitely, where there is definitely the most Uncoverings uh, their program didn't really start kicking in until the last couple of years. So I believe construction on some of the projects started last year. So I believe none of them have actually completed construction yet. I believe 
the first one called the Cornerstone is set completely later this year. Outside of Calgary, there are some like one-off examples that I mentioned around 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 the country. Really, I believe in BC we had one called the Electra. I believe that was at Kona State in, in the early aughts. I could be wrong, but that one's definitely completed. I believe it's a rental building now. Toronto, I'm aware of a couple of rental projects as well. I'm not sure what stage they are in now. I, I believe they're also kind of in, in the process or about to be converted, so not completed yet. But but the benefit is definitely just more housing. Like I mentioned, all, all these cities, in terms of the community benefits, they definitely need housing. Toronto, Vancouver, to, to be specific. So the biggest benefit is definitely more more housing and uh, going the going the uh, also important with going with the out is just the, the delivery of housing. Obviously, you're not demolishing and then re- reconstructing from the ground up. So the project's reconstruction will take a lot less time. Like you mentioned, the course of project, I believe it's, it's that started construction last year and it's going to be completed later this year. So that's less than two years. And I believe it's something like 112 residential units and that's coming to that'll be coming to market in under two years. So that's definitely another benefit and just kind of like a, on a more bigger picture to maybe impact I would say just kind of the proof of concept that I mentioned I think what Calgary has done is provided a, a case for other cities around the country in North America to look at to see how how this can be done on a on a citywide scale on a big picture scale whether rather than just one option I think it's like a proof of concept and I think from what I've seen most most cities view it as a positive example I think it's only going to take Get more steam and become more popular, and I think it's going to serve as continue to serve as a as kind of like a beacon and a good example of of how it can be done on a city level. Now, I'm wondering why Calgary is leading the charge and not some of the other cities. Would you say that there's a lack of data, maybe, in these type of projects that are kind of limiting? I know in your article, you know, you reached out to CMHC because in their rapid housing initiative, it specifically includes conversion projects yet they're really unable to compile data on which units have kind of been created by repurposing. There's not much data out there. Would you say that's kind of a minor issue maybe and why it's not being adopted as much across other major cities? I'd say it's a minor issue. It definitely is a So the article you're referring to about, you're referring to was uh, on the road in last year. And that was, yeah, I was trying to, to see what I was, the approach that I got was I was trying to, to look for data about just trying to get a sense of how widely adopted that piece is in, is in Canada. So yeah, like you mentioned, the CMHC has includes conversion projects for the Rapid Housing Initiative, which I, I think a lot of people don't really realize or definitely haven't taken advantage of. And I was kind of stunned that they didn't really have any data about how many projects have basically taken advantage of that. They, I think they provided they provided a, a small amount. I think they said it, there was 200 units, 2,000 units across Canada that taken advantage of that, which is not really that much in my, my opinion. And back in the fall, there also wasn't much data about the amount of buildings around Canada that can really be subjected to conversion because it's not all buildings that can be are suitable for conversions. So typically, it's yeah, just like I talked about the kind of buildings. Typically, office buildings are split into Class AAA buildings, Class A, Class B, Class C type buildings. It's typically what we've been seeing with the conversions is with these kind of Class B and Class C buildings. So usually they're not like the 30 story, 40 story, 50 story office tower. They have more of the, as I see in Calgary, most of them are around 10 stories or under 20. Part of the reason also is because recently in commercial real estate, I know everybody's talking about the kind of flight to quality. So a lot of companies that want to lure their employees back or do a new 
environments, they want to move into high-quality office spaces for them. So, so those are typically gathered in class AAA type buildings or class A office buildings, and oftentimes freeing up class B and class, class C buildings. And uh, so those are the ones that are kind of just left over for potential convergence. Awesome. Well, I think this has really been a good overview of how office to residential conversions can work. Calgary is a beacon for some of the other cities to kind of look towards. Kind of as we wrap up here, you've been writing and interviewing on this topic for a while now. So, I mean, in your opinion, how do you see the future of office space and residential con- conversions evolving in the coming years? Well, I think we do definitely still need more momentum. Like I said, outside of Calgary, there's I haven't really seen too much action or discussion of it. I think there's a little bit more recently. Commercial broker Jameson Young recently released some data kind of analyzing the amount of buildings that cost North America that could be potentially suitable for conversions. Their study was fairly broad. So like they just took that buildings that were that were constructed before a certain age and a certain floor plate size. So it was like fairly broad, but it was a good starting point. And uh, so I think with that data people can start kind of analyzing buildings. Part of the problem with analyzing buildings and why it hasn't taken off is a lot of considerations to go into it, like I mentioned. And a lot of that requires you to be on site to analyze the building from 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 head to toe, really. But uh, one thing that has kind of, I believe, kind of changed the game is there's this algorithm developed by Stephen Painter, at, who's an architect at Kensler, who developed an algorithm that can essentially basically punch in a bunch of factors for the building to punch, kind of like things like like the floor floor to window, like a floor to window like kind of ratio. And a bunch of other factors in the building, and you know, kind of uh, spit out a score to tell you how suitable this building is potentially for conversions. That kind of will save save developers a lot of time. Obviously, you don't have to go building by building, inspecting it, and inspecting it can take can take weeks just for one building. I talked to a developer in Calgary who's currently converting the Petrofina building in Calgary. They said they took about a month to analyze the building. So imagine having to do that for all the potential buildings that be converted. That's I think. That's the big reason why it hasn't taken off. So having an algorithm to kind of to kind of cut through that, to kind of do the initial legwork, really, is, I think would be very helpful. Hopefully, buildings, uh, hopefully, cities that are thinking about this can take advantage of that and kind of uh, think about it more. I think just being like Toronto and Vancouver, I'm a little bit skeptical about how much it, it can really take off because, like I mentioned, you, you can't really convert office buildings into residential apartments if you don't have any vacant office space to begin with and toronto and vancouver has some of the highest office demand in north america i don't think there's really any evidence that that's going to be changing so i kind of struggle seeing how we're how conversions are going to take off here outside of potential like one-off buildings in certain corners of the city i know here in toronto there's been some one-off projects that we've covered in bc though i have not really heard really any chatter about convergence here just i think just because of the just because of the extremely low office vacancies yeah i think one of those things will, will eventually have to give ways for us to gain momentum either housing prices has to has to unfortunately get even worse for people to kind of really consider this newer option or we'd have to see like a significant drop off in office demand for us to, to really gain more steam yeah like i mentioned converting office space you can't really do without taking office space but i do think it's possible well, I would like to see, I guess, developers in the cities kind of look at even office buildings that aren't necessarily all vacant. I think I don't really, I haven't talked to anybody about, about this or I'm not, perhaps there's some things that I'm not considering, but I feel like it, it, I feel like it'd be possible for, for governments to kind of create incentives for companies to take, to kind of move their operations to make them remote 
which would free up all these buildings. And then we already have, like, like you mentioned, the CMHC already has financial incentives for convergence. So that, that's kind of already in place. So we kind of just need to free up the office space, essentially. So I don't see why we couldn't create some incentives around that and kind of get creative to, to kind of free up office space and, and then let's see if convergence can, can take off and add more housing that we, we obviously desperately need. Yeah, that's an interesting trend to keep an eye on is seeing you said not just completely empty office spaces, but slightly full or half full or quarter full. What do we do with that space? And can the government kind of push us towards a, a model where yeah, the companies are incentivized to kind of ditch that space and convert it into residential? Definitely an interesting trend to keep an eye on. If that gains any steam or we see some good examples, I'd love to have you back on and talk about that trend if we see any momentum. But Again, just kind of wrapping up here, really appreciate the glimpse into Calgary's model and how an incentive program can really accelerate some office to residential growth and start picking away at the the lack of supply that we're facing. So Howard, thank you again for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Happy to talk about the subject. I think it's something cities around North America should be thinking about and happy to talk about it with you. Awesome. So yeah, again, Howard does some great work at Stories. Check out his page. He's written a bunch of articles on this topic, one as well on the algorithm he mentioned at the end there. So keep an eye on him. He's keeping up the good work. So again, thanks, Howard, and have a good day, everybody. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rensync.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.